0: You have a retiring senator in Ohio who I spoke with on this issue back in 1819. I don't remember what it was. Who, behind a closed door, cried with me, said he was with me, wanted to do something, but would never go out and do it publicly. And so I've had other senators behind closed doors say, We wish. We could do more, but
1: we can't. So we have to move the Senate chamber behind closed doors, fill it with retirees, and fingers crossed (laughs) sanity (laughs) will come back to America.
2: Hey, Jordan, good to be back. Listen, I know it's been a while since we had a Monday holiday, but I'm still dragging from the Mon- Monday holiday off uh, from a couple weeks ago, and I'm trying to understand why we can't have a day off after a holiday. It seems like when i when I you know when I have a holiday off, I'm like, yeah, the rest of the week's only four days long. But then I kind of trudged through the week. So I'm thinking that maybe we ought to have a national holiday after all holidays so we can get our bearings. This what do you spoken, think about this that? This is
1: spoken like a true politician. You get a day off, and now you're like, you know what would be great? Working less. So, <laughs>
2: Well, that sounds also- like a – That doesn't sound like a Republican.
1: (laughs) That sounds like a politician to me. Although I will say as a comedian, it also sounds like a comedian is how can I take more days off so I can work less? I'll support you on this. If there's some sort of bill that we can pass that can get us more days off to to relax, to contemplate, to be more present, thoughtful, rested people, uh, I'll take it. Although with a, a one and a half year old at home, I don't. I'm not going to get much rest whether I have to work that day or not.
2: Well, how's it how's it going? Is he tell me about his sleeping now. You know, I had I remember when my girls it's hard for me to remember cuz they're 22 now, but I you know, we had twins. Think about what that was like. And
1: uh but I can't remember it, it a year and a half. Is he he's tell me, you know, he's he's doing good. He's 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 going down for most of the night, but I will say what he does do is when he when he does wake up in the middle of the night He, he immediately yells for either mom or dad. Um, and he's very specific about it. If he fails with mom, he usually tries with mom. If she doesn't come right away, he switches to dad. So he goes with the number two. He knows that I'm a little bit more malleable to that. I get up and I grab him. And then we usually bring him into our bed and he does this lovely thing where, you know, we have a a queen size bed. It could, it could totally fit three people lying uh the normal more traditional way head to toe but what he likes to do is he likes to tee the whole situation so he flips and he's a little string bean so he basically pushes mom and dad to the corners we don't sleep for most of the night and he just rolls around kicking us (laughs) pushing us uh for the good eight hours while uh while we kind of frustratingly get grumpy and the sides
2: yeah well, that's what that's what they were born to do. <laughs> they were born to aggravate. They were born hey, to aggravate. Hey, listen, you know, we we've got a, a really tremendous guest on today, and we're gonna spend time talking not just about guns, I hope, but the overall issue that relates to them, Jordan. And this just keeps carrying on, right? Uh people say, Well, why can't something be done? My wife was saying, you know, when are we gonna do something? you know, she was Yelling at me the other day about this Um, You know I think the polarization And I I hadn't really thought about this uh, Didn't occur to me The polarization between all of us I think keeps us from communicating In a deep way In other words What's really going on Is the gun the vehicle Where people who are in deep pain Use it to try to You know to give them power where they had no power. Now they, they're powerful because they have a, a firearm, you know? I mean, what causes that? Where, where are we? How does guns fit in? How does behavioral health fit in? How does social media fit in? We, it doesn't seem as though, Jordan, we are having the depth of a conversation. A real conversation gets to the, the real issue that we have, and it doesn't just exist in our country. It exists in other countries, in places where people are suicide bombers or where they leave bombs on subways. I mean it, this is this, I think is at the heart of it, and then from once we can communicate with one another, maybe we can begin to develop solutions, but it seems as though we can't have that conversation
1: well i I agree with you. I mean, I think the conversations and having a depth of conversation is something that in America we haven't been able to uh, achieve. Uh, any kind of real depth on many topics in the last handful of years, which is very frustrating. I think when it comes to the gun safety issue, I think there is a lot going on. I wish we could have a nuanced conversation about a lot of the other things that surround it, about uh, the culture that creates uh, some of these attitudes, some of the the, mm-hmm. the issues that break some of these people to take these actions. Um but I also, I also think there is a secondary conversation about how things like mental health are somewhat of a distraction to get away from the very real conversation around guns, around what can be done. And I think we get caught up in, uh, w- how do we fix all of this when there are very specific small things that we can do that will fix Agree. some of it immediately? Agree. And I think, uh, uh, but you it can may have explain, very profound. It, but it, may,
2: it may explain why the public attitude, uh, and I know you can ask people a, a you know, direct question, but if you ask an open-ended questions about things like this, it's interesting the kind of responses you get. Yeah, I don't think that the larger discussion should stop us from doing things that are directly involved with guns. I mean, I spent my time you know, it, during my administration trying to fix this, but um, it's not just that. It's not just that. And I think in order to pull, let's get, let's get to our guest and let's not, uh, because he's a guy that spent so much of his life now thinking about these things and and let's get his insight. And for those who are listening, you know, please don't turn this out. If you're off, if you're a gun owner or you're not a gun owner, listen, would you about where we're going to go? I don't, I don't know how this is going to turn out, be honest with you, but give it a listen, please. So uh, Jordan, why don't you please, if you would introduce our guest.
1: Yeah, well, our guest this week is Fred Gutenberg. And Fred began his public life after the murder of his 14-year-old daughter, Jamie, in the Parkland school shooting on February 14, 2018. And Fred and his wife, Jennifer, now spend time challenging elected officials to do more and began an organization dedicated to Jamie's life called Orange Ribbons for Jamie, and for others called Orange Ribbons for Gun Safety. Also, only four months prior to the murder of his daughter, Fred's brother, Michael, passed away in October 2017 from cancer related to his service in 9-11. He was one of the first uh, responders who got trapped in the World Trade Center as it collapsed. And Fred has since dedicated his life to inspire others to make a difference in the wake of these two American tragedies. And his book, Find the Helpers, What 9-11 and Parkland Taught Me About Recovery, Purpose, and Hope, is available wherever you get your books. Uh, Fred Gutenberg. Fred, thanks for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me. Um, thank you for letting me listen in on the opening. Yeah. Governor, there's no chance you're taking an extra day off. I have got to know you a little bit and you are one hyper guy. Let's be clear. <laughs> um, and Jordan, thank you for also talking about your newborn. Um, your children, your child is the reason I do what I do today because this isn't going to be fixed overnight but when your baby grows up your baby deserves to grow up in an environment where this isn't going to be the biggest concern that you have so i appreciate that talk
1: boyfriend i got to tell you uh, that's that's it, it, that's kind of you to say it's been it's been an emotional it's a few weeks for a lot of americans and yeah i am a new father and uh, I don't want to be callous. It's not as if I wasn't aware and felt emotionally connected to all of the tragedies that have been happening ever since I was, I was little. But, uh, through the eyes of a, a new parent, you start to hear these stories. I've watched interviews where you've talked about the experiences you've had and even watching the president, uh, talk on national TV about some of the experiences families are having, some of the experiences of the children in the classrooms. And I'll be quite honest. I, I, I can't really watch most of it it's it's almost too much to bear um and then I, I know having you come on and you you've been very public uh and have been for for years and especially in even the last few weeks since this this most recent school shooting it, it i i can't imagine you having to not only use your activism but also to relive some of that grief through your activism i how, how do you, how do you balance uh, both yeah. making that difference, but also I, I, I can only imagine reliving the, the things that have pushed you to this place.
0: It, it's a great question. Um, and last week, the truth is, was harder than most mm-hmm. um, physically, mentally, emotionally. You know, I talk often um, about this sound that I live with in my head, which is of those shots that took Jamie's life. Um, I was on the phone with my son, who I had to convince to keep running. He wanted to run into the building to save his sister, to find his sister. And I had to convince him to run the other way. And as we're on the phone together, there were more shots. And those are the ones on the third floor killing my daughter. And so I live with that sound in my head every second of every day. Um, When you have these new instances of gun violence I just, those shots get louder. You know, it's just becomes, it brings me back to a place that is still completely raw and real and will be for the rest of my life. But it also makes me more determined. And it also reminds me that because of what happened to my family and my commitment, heck, Governor, you were one of the first political people I connected with that, um, the work I do matters, um, because this issue hasn't gone away. And so as loud as that sound is in my head, um, I also have the strongest person, two people I ever knew standing on my shoulders, pushing me forward. One is my daughter and one is my brother. Um, and that's how I go forward. It, it, it is, I, I have to balance the reality of, of, of needing to respond. With the need to also make sure I take care of myself, but most importantly, I take care of my wife and my son, who, by the way, is now 21, but he's always going to be my little baby boy. And don't blink, Jordan, because it happens fast.
2: <laughs> Fred, Fred, what about the um, – we're we're about four years now, right, out yeah. from, from Parkland. And yeah. um, where are you on the – And your wife and your son, where are you on the healing spectrum? You know, you and I've talked about this deep sadness and deep pain, you know.
0: Uh, uh, We've done more. Actually, one of the deepest conversations that I've had with anybody on it happened to have been with you. And I think it was probably April of 2018. um, You asked me to come to testify. Because you are well, a Republican governor who really wanted to tackle this issue, really putting an end to the lie that this is a partisan issue. There are people on both sides who want to do something. Fewer people on the Republican side these days. In fact, almost nobody. But that said, um, you asked me to come to Ohio and I did. And I'll never forget sitting with you in your office meeting your staff and telling my story. Um, and then you pulling me aside for separate, just one-on-one conversation. And we did talk about faith. And we talked about this journey of healing. And, and, and I told you then, and the truth is I can't tell you it's a whole lot different now, that um, while my relationship with a higher power was in a bad place then, and it still is, um, you know, my brother, when he was sick and in hospice just months before my daughter was killed, I remember talking to the rabbi about life's plan, you know, and for my brother, who was fifty and dedicated his life to taking care of people, you no, know, it was reasonable to me to think he was going to go to a, a better place, another place i I, I can't come to that. Um, conclusion with my daughter. I just can't. And I can't make sense to this day of of what happened to her, to my family, and the loss to this country and humanity because her life was taken. However, strangely, um, the word faith hasn't disappeared from my vocabulary. I, I don't have faith in a higher power, per se. But my faith in people is, is stronger than ever. My faith in those who surround me is stronger than ever. And it, it is because I have got to meet truly amazing human beings, whether they're from a community across this country who simply express love, or they're political people, or the world of entertainment, we have um, this thing in our country now where people talk about division, and yet I keep becoming inspired by new people every day. And for me, that's where my faith has become placed. Well, just one thing, Fred, I don't
2: want to proselytize, although I'll do that with you when we, in a separate conversation. You're allowed. Conversation. I, I know who you are. <laughs> yeah, but you know, let me just, this is something very interesting because I had a chance to speak uh, a number of times at uh, services for some of my friends who are Jewish, who kind of look at things differently than I do as a Christian. But I just always look at this 23rd Psalm and the very end of it, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now, here's the thing. Sure the end of it, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and this is the most important thing, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jamie's dwelling in the house of the lord uh, uh that's where she is, and we we're, we're we'll need to but get she into all that be. That's no what it's it's, you know what, but it was evil, it was evil that took her, and the real question is the real question is. We all ask ourselves, well, why did God let that happen? You know, why did when my parents pulled out of a little restaurant late at night, if they'd have pulled out one second later, they would have survived the car crash? I can't answer that question. And if Jamie but, had three but, more seconds, she'd yes. be alive tonight. And And we will someday get that answer, Fred. But we'll talk about this offline because this is important to me, as you know. But, uh, you know, the one thing I wanted to say, Fred, is I found this in Jordan. I, look, I just want to make one thing clear. We have to do something about guns, OK? We need red, red flag laws. We need better background checks. We need to limit, uh, you know, some of these high-powered weapons and, and perhaps your ability to get access to all this ammunition. OK, that's a done thing. But it's bigger than that issue. And, Fred, I keep saying, why couldn't we get 10,000 people on the steps of the state house to barrage those legislators there's reasons for that and and I want to yeah. urge you to start thinking about these deeper subjects like who was that guy why did he do what he did was the gun an instrument for him if we can begin to get combine the very potent gun issue with the deeper issues of what's happening in our culture we may get more attention from the public people know the social media is out of control yet we're not regulating it okay so we need to we we've got to get into a deeper discussion to move the ball forward we may get some things out of congress i'm not sure but we th- that will not be
0: enough it will not be enough so and i think you know that right well no i do so let me give you my 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 point of view on this which i'm going to challenge some of what you said not all of it um Here And and I'll kind of bring us back to that time in Ohio when I testified. Here's reality. 80, 90% of the country wants to do something about this. The country is actually not divided on that reality. If you look at Washington, D.C., and then I want to talk about Ohio. When my daughter was killed, the other guy was president. The House and the Senate were in the control of Republicans. Four years later, and in large part because of this issue, President Biden, a House that, and he will sign legislation, a House that will pass legislation, and a Senate that is locked at 50-50. So here's, for me, the problem isn't so big in needing to convince a broad array of people. From a national standpoint, the problem is with those 50, who are going to block the will of the majority and the will of everybody else. And so I do not believe in any way, shape, or form, a single thing is going to come out of this Senate with the effort happening right now. There will not be 10 Republicans. Listen, when you were governor, in my state, it was Governor Rick Scott. It was his leadership that got legislation passed in Florida, but Senator Rick Scott is running away from Governor Rick Scott. Doesn't want anyone to remember that he actually was a leader, okay? Because it's not what that party is willing to embrace. And so this is going to be a purely political solution over the past two election cycles. We've moved the needle. We need one more election cycle. That's on a national level. Listen, let's look at Ohio. And you raised the question of people showing up. And I remember testifying that day. And I remember who filled all the chairs in the crowd. It was that Ohio Buckeye gun owners crowd. That's who filled the chairs. That's who people were seeing. Okay. And what they have done really effectively is make their presence felt in an outsized way. And in Ohio, Ohio, You have legislators, let's face it, who are really receptive and wanting to pay attention to that. Uh, Listen, I, I, I go across the country saying, rightly or wrongly, that we as Americans for too many election cycles on local levels and national levels have done a terrible job of voting. And I don't mean we've gone out there to vote for the wrong people, but not enough of us have gone out there to vote. And so we've ended up with the wrong people because it tends to be the extremes. Um, We need to come to grips with that, and we need this. This there is no more important election than the one coming up, because it's not just about needing to fire the one guy, which we did the last time. It's now about getting rid of the legacy he left us with. I am all in on this next election, honestly. Finally, solving this crisis or or possibly putting us in a place where we never can
1: it's it's i mean it's so even governor you were it's funny you're even flip about the things we all agree on because we do. I think any rational person agrees with some of these basic gun safety measures, uh, expanded background checks, uh, safe storage laws, things of that nature, red flag, national red flag laws. Like These are things that most Americans want to get around and should, should be something that we can be flip about and get on the same page. But I think what gets so gosh darn infuriating is that we are looking at 10 people in that Senate who need to flip and need to turn. And then when, and won't, and won't. And I think like, Fred, I do think it is, it is true. I want to have these larger conversations and I do think these things can get complicated and we should be able to have bigger issues about the things that plague us. But there are some really practical things that could take place. That might not solve at all. And I think that's where I get so frustrated about the, the argument is it's the yeah. disingenuous conversations around that. And, and guns are being used as weapons by some of these Republican senators in the way in which they're talking to their, uh, constituents about them. Yeah. These are things that are going to be taken away from you. These are your rights. Like they're, they're already weaponized against the people who are buying them so that any conversation around it can't be a conversation around gun safety. And that, to me, is also a big shift. It's like, if you could start to change the narrative, I want to see these 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 folks with guns in America who also don't want these shootings to take place, the gun owners that I talk to in the middle of America are responsible gun owners who lock up their guns. And the last yeah. thing they want is some psychopath to get access to this and hurt a child because that makes everybody look terrible. And you need to change that narrative where these people... One, I want to see them get vocal and talk about gun safety as something that's respectable within that community, as opposed to hearing the vocal folks on the far right who turn it into a liberty issue and turn it into people trying to take something from you. And when it becomes about taking, then you can't have an earnest conversation about red flag laws, about um, uh, ammunition limits. Like these are conversations we should be yeah. having and there should be steps we should be able to take. But. We can't have that conversation, not because it's too complicated, but because guns are already being weaponized by the, the very few. We'll be right back. And now back to the show. You know, Jordan, I'm listening to you speak, and,
0: and so I want to share something. One of, my, one of the people across this country who's become one of my closest friends is former Congressman Joe Wolf. Of all people. The crazy gun nut, the guy who brought in the Tea Party, the guy who originally really pumped up Donald Trump and then said, what did I do? Um, And he's a he's a gun guy, Second Amendment guy. But last year, just before Father's Day, I I went on my social media platforms, really trying to get dads to, to understand. I don't just like gun owners. I support the Second Amendment, but I hate gun violence and ask you then to join me so we can have the conversation you just laid out. And Joe reached out and said, you know what? I really respect what you're trying to do here. Can we talk? And we did. And we've since done some interviews together about it, but we've become truly close friends. And we actually want to now go across this country, holding conversations in communities and on campuses, showing how the two of us found a path to not just talking about this issue, but our love of democracy in America and how we need to get back to a place where you can disagree on things, but talk. And so here's the foundation of our conversation from a year ago, the very first one, because it wasn't about, okay, what do you want to do? What do you oppose? What do you, it was, I asked three simple questions of everybody. Gun owners and non-gun owners, do you agree we can lower the gun violence death rate? And the answer is always going to be yes. Do you agree we should do more to reduce the instances of gun violence? Yes. Do you agree we should do more to reduce the severity of gun violence injuries when gun violence happens? That forms the the, the platform for any conversation I have with anybody on this topic, because it's no longer about. Oh, you're pro-gun, you're anti-gun. You're pro-Second Amendment, you're anti-Second Amendment. It's, hey, how can we get together and talk about saving lives? Um, That's my mission. And and there are so many common sense, rational ways to do it. Listen, on my wish list, would I love to see no AR-15s on our streets? Heck yeah. But it's not what I fight for. Because I, I get where this country is at. But there's so much we can do. You laid it out, whether it's better background checks, which, by the way, I would extend to ammunition because we have 400 million weapons already on the streets of America. And when a bad guy gets their hands on a gun, whether they stole it or somebody didn't lock it up, they just walk into the store now and legally buy the bullets. Um, Red flag law, raising the age to 21. These are all things that allow Gun owners to be respected, the Second Amendment to be respected, but will save lives. Let
2: me let me, uh, first of all, be very clear. Look, I as Fred, as you know, I not only was involved in this, but, you know, I went out and used my authority to do what I could to do things like red flag laws, which, by the way, has to do with behavioral health. OK, it does. That's a bigger issue. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Look. I just saw a poll. I have a friend who's a pollster, and he's a brilliant guy. I never used pollsters when I was running or in office. I never used them because my feeling was I don't want to have a pollster tell me. I'm going to use my instincts and my gut to figure out where I need to lead. Because if you look at a poll, who cares what the poll says? Your job in a public of figure, in, as a public official is to change attitudes and to move forward. He, I have had three conversations with my friend because I couldn't understand the numbers, in the latest poll that he did, you know the number one thing people wanted? Enforce current gun laws. That was number one. It wasn't get rid of guns. Okay, it was not. Number two was mental health. I understand. Guns got further down the line. And, and so why, and I couldn't understand it, because yeah, if you ask somebody, do you think we should ban assault weapons? It'll be 80%. But is it at the top of the list that creates intensity? So sitting in that, in that room where you were were the Buckeye firearms people, but the other people weren't there. I and, I, and I can't explain to you exactly why they're not, except that some of them are not sure that they know exactly what the answers are. So first and foremost, yes, whether it's raising the age to 21. And Fred, I'm just trying to tell you, I want this as much, not as much as you do, but as pretty close second. OK, hear me out. Yeah. Number one, of course, we need to do this. We shouldn't have AR-15s on the street. Yes, we should have red flag laws, all those kinds of things. But somehow we have to connect with Americans to raise their intensity, that there's more than this that needs to be done. We need You're to right. think about how, okay, but, but you see, but if me, we create, okay. yeah, I, I know, but I'm trying to say to you, we need a broader coalition
0: that, that goes beyond just the issue of the gun. So here's the thing. It exists. So let me talk about the mental health piece. But real quick, as for... Enforcing the laws. The same crowd who puts that number one has also fought tooth and nail against a permanent director of the ATF whose job it is to enforce the laws. Hey, Fred, I'm just telling you about the
2: poll. I'm not not advocating the poll. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't believe that that's what the poll said. I had to have multiple conversations.
0: Let's enforce those laws. Let's get Dettelbach confirmed. So that's number one. Number two, on mental health, two thirds of all. That's related to gun violence are actually suicide. That's mental health. I'm yeah. with you. The other third, the majority of homicides, the truth is someone who suffers from mental health is more likely to be a victim of gun violence than a perpetrator. But we have to deal with mental health. Where I get so crazy frustrated, and I'll use Texas as an example, because that's always their answer there, but they just cut $200 million from funding. So if you're going to say mental health, mental health, hey, let's I want to have that conversation. We must address mental health in this country, but don't use it just to shut. Uh, me up. I, on Fred, I don't disagree. Let's but let me tell you, that. in
2: the state in the state of Texas, I know this because I work with this with this group. They are hooking up with primary care doctors, behavioral experts. That's the way we build a network on mental health. OK, but it's not just mental health. It's also social media, so when I'm watching when I'm watching this 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 horrific uh, situation in Buffalo, the first thing is, has, he's taken this camera in there to record it? So he, yeah. you see, it's it's deeper. It's it's a number of issues that does not minimize the importance of what we need to do with guns. It doesn't, but if we want to build a bigger coalition and show people how we can actually begin to really fix this, it has to be more comprehensive.
1: And the
0: responsibility of news
2: media and how they display this stuff.
0: Right. On social media, you're preaching to the choir again. And let me tell you something. If you only knew the amount of um, violence through words directed at me, I believe it because of this, because social media exists. So, so I get it and I, I would love to address it. The thing is, the United States is not the only country with social media or mental health issues, but the common no, that's not. right. So we, it is. It's we have to look at all this. We can't, and that's why I said I don't just try to look at this as, "Hey, can we do this?" Maybe we can't do this. It's let's talk about how to reduce deaths, injuries.
2: Exactly. That's what I'm. That's exactly I, but right. But I, I will say
1: this, Governor, Governor. I, I, and I agree with you on all of this. And I think there is but, a nuanced but conversation a but about there. But there is a but. But I think what I need, what I want. I want Republicans to say America has a gun problem, full stop.
2: I'm for you. That's right, Jordan.
1: I because say it all the time. This, hey, trust me, th- th- what, what yeah. just happened, who yeah. was a mentally unstable person who was law-abiding, he bought guns legally, they were yeah. weapons of war, and he turned 18 in Texas, he got that weapon of war, and he killed a bunch of kids. And he and was
2: And he was deranged, and nobody saw it. Nobody saw that he was deranged. This is a typical case. If we had been dealing with this kid from an early age, from, from his, in his very early years, and his years as an adolescent, it may not have happened. But nobody paid attention to yeah,
0: it. Yeah, but that's but, – but, and again, that's the big mass shooting. These shootings happen every day. I'll give you another example in Texas. I,
2: I agree they happen okay. all the time. A guy suicide from,
0: and. A we guy a few months ago guns. held I'm with
2: you guys, okay?
0: A few months ago, someone held a temple hostage in Texas. He flew yeah. here from Great Britain, acquired a gun from a felon, and walked into a store to buy the bullets. Okay. The reality is causing if you have evil intent, the ability to acquire the means to cause harm to others or yourself is simply a, too easy. A, a block You're away. Right.
2: You're t- it's too easy. You're exactly right. That's why we have to do something on guns. Yeah. Yes, That's, I, I agree I, with that. We're not no. in this. Guys, I just want you to look, we're 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 trying to achieve the same things. I'm just telling you how I think as somebody who has been in the trenches on this since 1994, voting for an assault weapons ban. I want to see things happen. And I'm not sure that the next election is going to get it done. Fred,
0: I'm just not convinced. of uh, it. I, you may be right. It's my fear.
1: Governor, help me out here, because I, we are on the same page, and here's right. what I want to get to, because we're doing this podcast. I think these are some very rational folks, different sides of the political spectrum, who want to get something done. And that's right. one of the reasons we have these conversations, and why I respect you, Governor. So here's what I, here, walk me through this, because here's something I know nothing about. I've never been in that room as a citizen with a cause who sits with a politician to talk about this cause. Fred, you've been in that room, you've talked with President Biden, you've talked with Ted Cruz. Governor, you've been in that room, and you've talked with Fred, I I want to know from one from Governor from your perspective, there are senators right now who are good senators who are Republican senators who are wrestling with this, and I want to know what they need to to hear, what they need politically to give them cover to feel comfortable, whether it's election issue, whether it's their constituent issues, whether it's an ideology issue. Like, I'm curious what those those ten. Republicans who are on the fence right now, what do they need? And also, Fred, you've been in those rooms. Yeah. What what can you provide and what do you see in those rooms? I, I personally think the broader conversation
2: will open their eyes to the issue of guns as being one of the solutions. But Jordan, I cannot tell you how angry and frustrated I was trying to pass these things in Ohio. And I will tell you it's a disgrace. For politicians who know better to do nothing. It's a disgrace, okay? And there's just some that are just, they're driven by fear. And I like to say, at the end of the day, they're going to be asked a question. What did you do with what you were given? What, you do, do, what did you do with the opportunity that you had to improve the life for other human beings? And when they're running away from an issue like this, on simple things, a red flag law, if you see somebody who you think is mentally ill, they can have their gun taken. How can you oppose that? So, you know, so some of them, you just have to go out and defeat them. But others of them, and you know, know, Fred convinced this guy Walsh. I don't know him. I hear good things about him. But people can be convinced. But I think if we can work some of these other things in there and say, but it starts with too many guns, there's too much availability, we have to do it. I don't care whether it's an assault weapons, man. I don't care what it is, we need to take a step. And I I I just don't know what else to say. And perhaps we need different types to go in the room with Fred. Maybe we need rabbis and ministers and school teachers and but I, I live there, Jordan. I, and you know the, the people that came in, they said, "Well, Kasich beat us up too much. We'll get it done." Well, you know, okay, they sucked up, and you know what? They got nothing done. Yeah. So well, I, I mean, it's tough. It's I I live there. I mean, but, I know I, what I, it's I guess, like. I
1: guess I want I want to under I want to get under the hood a little bit because I hear you. You, you. You're you're appealing to a a moral idea and even a, a larger identity if you can't if you can't face the fact of what did you do with the things that you got, then then you're worthless at this point. But I'm wondering, are there more tactical things that these yeah, folks Jordan, need? Yeah, I'll, like, Jordan, like,
0: I'll, I'll put it to you straight up.
1: Yeah. Mitch
0: McConnell, through this entire conversation, has yet to even say the word gun. And Senator Scott is running away from what he did as Governor Scott. And, and I tell you that because I don't think you're going to change the minds or hearts of these 10 Republicans, they've decided it's a political issue that is all that they will be motivated by. And I think the only thing that will change them is the belief that doing nothing will cause a guy like Tim Ryan to be the next Senator of Ohio. That's it. Um, and and, and you, you either stand on this issue where you believe doing something is, is going to either cause you to be um, you know, politically advantageous. For me, I believe the failure to do anything will help get more Democrats elected to the Senate. At the moment, McConnell and his people, they must feel differently. And somebody is going to be right.
1: We'll be right back. And now back to the show. Have you, Fred... You've talked to a lot of people in political positions, but also outside of that. Have you had interactions with folks who have had their mind changed? Have have, have you had interactions where you've seen the ship from somebody who may not have been pro-gun safety measures, and then they've come to you and talked about that? This this mythical, I've I've heard stories of the mind changing in America. Has it happened somewhere in America? Point me in that direction. Where is it?
0: You have a retiring senator in Ohio. Who I spoke with on this issue back in 1819, I don't remember what it was, who behind a closed door cried with me, said he was with me, wanted to do something, but would never go out and do it publicly. And so I've had other senators behind closed doors say, We wish we could do more but we can't.
1: So we have and, to move and- the Senate chamber behind closed doors, fill it with retirees and fingers <laughs> crossed. Sanity <laughs> will come back to America. Walk me through some of this. I'm curious, both of your takes on, uh we're at this impasse and clearly there are, are folks who don't want to lose their jobs. Should we be looking towards the NRA? How, how much is the gun lobby? How much is gun manufacturers? How much is is this conversation, should it be pointed at the influence of the NRA and their deep pockets? Because yeah. I look at some of, I look at some of these senators and I see big numbers attached to what the NRA is yeah. giving to them. I also look at other senators who are clearly influenced where in the grand scheme of thing, it's not. A ton of money. And at that point, what I feel like I'm viewing is they just see the gun issue and hedging any ground as more politically advantageous and an easier narrative to tell their constituents as opposed to having to to feed the NRA coffers. And maybe that's just the NRA creating a narrative in the communities.
0: it, It is the evolution of this issue, right? When Jamie was killed, that gun lobby and the NRA, they were all powerful. And people wanted their support, and their money. And Parkland changed that a lot. Um, And they don't have politically the same power. However, the legacy of the political work that they did was to bring a class of people to office who are committed to these notions. They are the same people, by the way, who... Don't have the same beliefs about democracy that we might have. Who don't have the same beliefs about election integrity that we might have. And for me, it's about money and power is,
2: and influence, Fred. Right? It's about money, money, money and power, power, power. That's what. Well, it's, it's power now.
0: And the issue yeah. of 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 guns and democracy, they're now connected. Um, and it, with or without the money of the NRA, that's the legacy of what they did. It, 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 you know, it's moving on without them. What they're now doing, which may be long-term, even more dangerous, is focusing on the courts.
1: Mm-hmm. that That's what scares me is this idea that you take the NRA away right now, and this issue doesn't go away. It People, does not. They, they, they've, they've shifted the narrative right now into the powers attached to that. I've heard the idea that guns is like the easiest issue to get folks Active on, and I think you create a narrative that they're taking away that they are representative of liberty in and of themselves. And now it's it's, it's a partisan thing where it's like, oh, showing nuance. Uh, it, it's it's doesn't have to doesn't have to make the NRA happy, but it's going to make all these folks who just see this as a yes or no issue. Uh, it's going to turn them against you.
2: You know, I was I was in a restaurant with a what I thought was a really terrific legislator. He had a lot of potential, and we were talking about some of the gun stuff. I think this is after I was. I might have still been in. And, and he tells me, yeah, 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 agrees with me on all this stuff, Fred. It's sad what you said about that meeting you had with that uh, senator. But he goes, oh, I got a call from this one guy down in this one little, one, little one-horse town, you know, and, he's like, and that's when I knew the conversation was, was a waste of time. I wasn't going to convince him. And the other thing that's so interesting, Jordan, you know, in politics, if you stand out in a, in a really sensible way you become a leader. Now, if you stand out because you're a knucklehead and saying stupid things, okay, then that you get written off. What I've had a hard time understanding in politics is where are the people who are willing to stand up? So i just give you one example, and I, I don't really- They're want, children. I think well, they're,
1: they're, they're the 18-year-old. I think it's, it's, I, I, it's, it's the student, it's the Jordan, David Hogg, it's the people we, who we, come no, from- no, no, no. Let me just tell I, I you- I
2: agree with you, Governor. Uh, uh, let me tell you about how we have to look in the mirror and it's us. We talk about politicians being unwilling to take a position, and then we look at our own individual lives and we see how people don't want to stand out. It's not just in politics. It's character, Fred. Regardless of what you're saying, if you're running Dunkin' Donuts and all of a sudden you think they're raising the prices too hard, how many Dunkin' Donut owners stand up to, and say, "I think this is an outrage and a ripoff"? They well, won't. I'm a former Dunkin' Donuts. I franchise know you are. Guy. That's <laughs> why I brought it up to you. But you know what I'm saying? It's it's we have too many people in our society for some reason who are unwilling to go against the crowd. It's and if you do somebody, go against it,
0: it, the, it, it, you know, I'll give you. It, here's the deal. And I'm it's, not just talking about guns. I'm talking about no, character but, here. And and maybe it is the danger of what the other guy did. He, he they they used a level of violence and vitriolic and intimidating language that people became afraid to speak up and speak out. When you look at the people who showed up in the Michigan State House with AR-15s, when you look at Moms Demand rallies across the country where people show up with AR-15s to say. Speak out too loudly, but look what I got on my shoulder. You know, I think think there was an intimidation factor that certainly played a role in this. I also think that you're now seeing people, partly because of the Supreme Court and issues around choice and the issue of guns, you're now seeing people realize if we don't speak up now, We may lose the chance. And so I'm hopeful that people are going to become more aggressive about using their voice. You know, not be nasty, not be vitriolic, but show up.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. But I'm also cynical because I do think the people who are affected by this, they don't have power. And and. There are too many guns on these streets. There are weapons of war that are getting in the hands of people should not so, have it. Everybody agrees with you, Jordan. Phones. We're not, but I say disagree. The, 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 the issue, 90% of America wants the same things here. We all have power. The
0: problem is the majority of us has started to think that we don't.
2: There you go, Fred. That I agree with because, you know, what do they say? If the the wings of a butterfly can change the entire world, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, what I'm trying—the the flapping of the wings of a butterfly changes the world. I think that's—I don't know where that even but comes I, from. But what not, I'm saying that's to you—that's chaos
1: you, that you're talking chaos there. It's a mathematical. What, I'm, what I'm
2: saying is, Fred, you hit the nail on the head. We're not sure that we believe in ourselves to have power. I—that's—that's I, that's exactly right. Because if we believe that the actions that we take that influence our neighbors, our families, the people we work with—that's power. We can't always hit a home run or a grand slam home run, but 100%. we can do what we can do, whether it involves this issue of guns, whether it, it doesn't, it's across the board and we have to believe in ourselves again. That's so much of what we've lost. We don't, you said it. We don't always believe in our ability to influence things. Do we, Fred? And we, well, we don't. Okay. Well, you're doing and, it until you until keep until and,
0: I, realize until you realize, and listen, I, I, I've talked about this guilt that I carry that I never used my power before Jamie was killed. I was just a goofy dad. That's all I was. I never got involved in politics or raised my voice. But then it became meaningful to me to do so. And I haven't stopped since. And you look at what the kids across the country are doing or other parents affected by different issues. We have power if we choose to show up. Amen hey uh,
1: <laughs> amen. My, here, here's, my, my, where my frustration comes with this, I think people need to stand up. I think I go for the March for Our Lives rally and I see people standing up. I think you do have a nation of people who are frustrated where majority opinion doesn't equal uh, what is actually happening in this country. We see the Senate being run. The majority of people in America want one thing. We don't see it reflected. And sometimes when I hear this conversation and I hear people just need to stand up, they need to be heard. I agree. But I think people have been standing up on this issue for so gosh darn long that we need to point the finger. There's accountability at... A few who are greedy and they're making decisions based on power and money in a way that I don't want to dis I don't want to diffuse the responsibility away from those who actually can make a change. I
2: agree. You know, one of the things that I think, Jordan, that and I've charted it, you can see it, is it's always been interesting to me. When these things happen, Buffalo, uh, Texas, you know, Tulsa, you'll forget that just happened. Um yeah. You know, when when these things happen, the media really focuses on it. Okay, and it's all we hear about. You know, it's all we hear about, all we hear about, all we hear about. And then all of a sudden we don't hear about it at all. Am I right, Fred? I mean, it's there. It's front and center. Then it goes away. And instead of having a steady drumbeat, a steady drumbeat of here's what's happening. Here's another one. Just like they did on covid. Okay, they don't focus on it. Because the more we focus on it, the more people become convinced. This is the power of the media. It doesn't mean they convince everybody, but they shape opinion. They shape things. And and so it's, you know, too much of it is about what are my ratings? How much money are we making on my ratings? And so there is a responsibility on the part of it's the media. It's the
0: normalization. It's the it's, normalization
2: it's, of gun violence. And it, it did. It became just... Like a routine thing, unless it's really big, Fred. Then it's if it's really big. But you yeah. know, they say they don't even cover now uh, a lot of the shootings that we hear. You know, when I was in Chicago, it's one you know, sixteen-year-old kid shot dead in Millennial Park. There's four shootings outside my daughter's apartment building. Does it get much attention? No.
0: Ohio's so you're, having you're right. Ohio, Cincinnati. It's it's as deadly as it's ever been. And and but here's the deal. I I get the sense that these most recent shootings have reignited the, the uh, passion around this issue. I think they, yes, but we have to uh, keep it going, right?
2: It's, it's the long, it. It, it, you take a look at what King did, you know, on civil rights. It was the long road. And that's yep. what you're doing, Fred, you're walking the long road. And, um, you know, I'm walking it with you, man. Cause some of this, something has to be done here. I mean, it just well, has to be done. You. A lot. Well, you know, you're, and you're turning something that, you know, was so horrible. And here's a place where you're you're taking a tragedy and using it for good. That's, That's what right, you're doing. I think.
1: Well, Fred, thank you so much to learn more about how to help gun control efforts and gun violence prevention. Visit everytown.org and Brady.org and go to OrangeRibbonsForJamie.org to support programs that were important to Jamie, as well as those dedicated to pursuing common sense gun safety reforms. Fred, thanks for talking to us. Hey, everybody. Jordan here, uh, your favorite host of the Kasich Klepper podcast. Thank you for listening this far. If you like what you hear, click like or thumbs up or whatever icon signifies a positive reaction. We love your ratings. We love your thoughts. Reach out to us on social media. Let us know what you want us to talk about, because I'm tired of answering the governor's questions and I just prefer to answer yours. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Kasich & Klepper is a production of TreeFort Media, hosted and executive produced by John Kasich and Jordan Klepper. TreeFort Media's executive producers are Kelly Garner, Lisa Ammerman, and Matthew Kugler. Line producers, Oscar Guido. Audio direction by Tom Monahan, head of audio for TreeFort. With production and editing by Maxwell Carney. Talent booking by Blythe Asher. With additional production help from Tim Schauer, Haley Mandelberg, Colin Motel, and Anastasia Ibrahim. This podcast is powered by Acast.